Good evening and welcome to the service tonight. Thankful uh, for this morning's message. Brother Mike did a great job uh, speaking about the love of Christ. Last week we looked at his perfection. Uh, this morning we looked at his love for us. And then, of course, next Sunday, Easter Sunday, he is risen. will be about the living hope. And uh, it is great that our Savior lives. It's awesome. And uh, if you didn't get to see this morning's message, please make sure you watch it online. And also there's a greeting there from our pastor who was able to greet us this morning via video. And it was great to see him and hear his voice and just as he greeted the people. And look forward to having him back with us. As Mike said, continue to pray for his uh, therapy. He's out of the hospital, but pray for that, his therapy and his strength for him. And uh, we just look forward to what God's doing and that God's going to bring him home uh, and his timetable. And uh, we're just thankful for that. Well, tonight we're going to continue on with a similar thought of this morning of God's love. But today, we're, today's title is called A Staggering Sacrifice. Uh, when we think about what Christ did for us, it is staggering. And what a sacrifice he made. And sometimes we look at our salvation and it's so easy for us to trust in Christ, but his blood paved the way for that. And we're going to look at that tonight a little bit. So our uh, family theme, of course, in this section has been Jesus died for our sins. And our text tonight is going to be John chapter 19, as you see on the slide there. So just before we start in the scripture, let's look at a couple introductory slides here. First of all, how it fits. It says, this lesson is set at the end of Christ's earthly life when he was crucified and buried. God had planned this before the world began so that our sins could be forgiven and we could have eternal life with him. The Old Testament pointed to it, the Gospels led up to it, and the rest of the New Testament shows the change it made possible for all people. And what it did literally is reconcile us to God. Uh, we, have a, we have a way to be reconciled to God, a holy God uh, that's without sin, but we have sin and God can't be in the presence of sin, so Christ is the one that reconciles us. The next slide just uh, asks you to, to think about a time when you or someone else were blamed for something you didn't do, what was the situation, and then what punishment did the innocent person bear? As I thought about this slide, I've probably mentioned this story before, but my first day of eighth grade, um, it was right after school, first day of eighth grade, and uh, another student that I'd known a long time, he came up to me, and we were talking about stuff, and then he's... He, you know, he, as, as friends do sometimes, he, we were joking around, and then all of a sudden he punched me in the nose and broke my nose. Uh, and that was the end of the fight. It was one punch, uh, and he broke my nose. Uh, right after that, the, the, some of the school personnel came, and my nose, of course, was bleeding, was all, all, all uh, damaged. And right after that, the, the school authorities came and grabbed us. We went up, and both of us got suspended from school. And I always thought it was so frustrating for me. My mom had to be called to come down to the school. But it was so frustrating to be suspended when you didn't get to throw one punch. And believe me, in the flesh, I wanted to throw that punch. Uh, but I didn't get to do that. And so my punishment, though, was similar to the person that threw the punch. And I always thought that was a mistake made on the part of the, uh, 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 the, the decision-makers. But... The truth is we had the same punishment and it didn't, 
it didn't feel right to have the same punishment as, as that person. So, but all of us have had a time when something like that has happened. Maybe we got put in with a group of people. Uh, we were in the wrong place at the wrong time, and we got accused of something. But for Christ, he took the punishment for all of our sins, even though he knew no sin himself. Look at the next slide. It says it's re- it is really unfair when an innocent person pays the penalty for something he or she did not do. Today we're going to see how Jesus did exactly that for every person who ever lived, uh, past, present, and future. All right, we're going to jump into our first point tonight. And it's, a, it's called Jesus' own people rejected him. And we're going to look at the first 16 verses of John. And it says here, Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. This statement was infuriating to the religious leaders of the day, partly because of their unwillingness to submit to his authority and lordship. And uh, Brother Mike talked on that this morning. He talked about how the religious leaders were actually behind him being uh, found guilty. They didn't want to acknowledge that he was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah. And then they should have noticed better than anyone else because they were the ones in charge of the scriptures in the Old Testament. All the prophecy. Uh, Mike read a pretty lengthy uh, prophecy out of Isaiah today. And, and all the prophecy about our Savior. And, um, but these, the religious leaders, they were unwilling to submit to Christ. So let's take a look right into the scripture tonight. And we'll look at John chapter 19. So hopefully you're there in your Bibles already. John chapter 19 and verse 1. And as I go through here, I'll just make some comments as we go through. But we've got quite a bit of scripture, so let's try to get, th- to, to get into it. And uh, let me pray too right before I start. I always do that. Let me do that real quick. Heavenly Father, I thank you for all you do for us. I pray you'd bless tonight's message. Lord, help me to say what will glorify you and Lord, nothing else. And Lord, I pray for our pastor. I pray you continue to strengthen him. And Lord, bring him back to us safely, Lord. And just strengthen his lungs. Help his therapy to go well. Help the appointment tomorrow to go well. And Lord, thank you for uh, our brother Peter that's uh, with him and watching over him. And Lord, I pray that you would just um, be with both these men. Lord, we praise you for all you do for us. and Guide us now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, verse 1 here, right as we get into the scripture here, says, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And, uh, we t- and Mike talked about this part this morning, about how it was done and so on. Verse 2 says, And the soldiers platted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They put on him a purple robe. Verse 3 says, And they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him or hit him with their hands. Verse 4, Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. And again, Mike did a very good job of Pilate trying to, not wanting to condemn this man, not wanting to uh, really have a part in it. Uh, But God had other plans for him uh, in that position. And then he says in verse 5, Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, And Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. When the chief priests therefore and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. And as uh, Mike mentioned this morning, symbolically he washed his hands in a little bit of water to show that that the blood was on their hands and not his. And then um, in verse 7, the Jews answered, 
uh, him. We, ought, we have a law, and by our law he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. In other words, their, 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 crime, their, their uh, accusation of his crime was that he was blasphemous, that he claimed to be the Son of God. And you know what? It would have been blasphemous if it were not true. Christ was the Son of God. He was God in the flesh. And so, uh, but to them, uh, they said that his crime was because he made himself the Son of God. Verse 8 says, When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was afraid, uh, he was the more afraid. Um, And verse 9 says, And he went again unto the judgment hall, and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. And uh, Brother Mike read out of that passage this morning. It's right out of Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 7. That uh, that passage mentions that Christ did not answer him. And so again, we're going to talk a little bit more about this in our third point this morning, or this evening, I mean. But... um, there's plenty of prophecy that was said so far ahead of time that Christ fulfilled. And that's proof to us that the scripture is true. It's proof to us that Jesus was the Messiah. It's proof to us that he's our savior. And uh, so just wonderful to see the fulfillment of scripture. But there in verse nine, again, where it says, but Jesus gave him no answer. That's straight out of Isaiah 53's prophecy. Uh, So let me encourage you to look that up for yourself. We were in it this morning with brother Mike, uh, but just good Good stuff there. Verse 10 says, Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? Uh, So Pilate kind of chides him there with his question here. He says, Don't you realize I have the power to put you to death? But as Mike mentioned this morning in verse 11, it says, Jesus answered, Thou couldest have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivereth me unto thee hath the greater sin. And so Jesus puts him in his place and says, you only get to have this power because God's allowed it. Verse 12 says, And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. Verse 13 when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the, fa- of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. And, you know, um, Pilate heard them say that whoever is against Caesar, whoever maketh himself a king, speaketh against Caesar. So Pilate then took it even more seriously because he didn't want to look like he was not loyal to Caesar. And so uh, they're preparing for the Passover. He says to them, behold your king. In verse 15 it says, but they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. Verse 16 says, Then delivered he him, therefore, unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And, of course, Mike talked about this morning how they offered, he offered up Barabbas instead. But the crowd chose Jesus over Barabbas, who was just a terrible criminal. 
Uh, but yet they, they chose to put Jesus to be crucified instead of them and Barabbas to be released. And so uh, after that was done, they took Jesus and they led him away. All right, as we look at that first point, let's, uh, that ends there on verse 16. But let's go ahead and look at the next slide. It tells us how to apply it. It says to embrace Jesus as Savior and King. You know, that seems like a simple statement. But in order to embrace Jesus as our Savior, first of all, we have to come to know Him as our Lord and Savior. How do we do that? The Bible says very clear that in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, that it's a gift from God, that it's by faith, and that it's not of works, lest any man should boast. The Bible's very clear in many passages of Scripture. But to, in order to embrace Jesus as our Savior and King, we have to trust Him as our Lord and Savior and realize that we're not getting to heaven any other way. There's no way to get to heaven except through Jesus. In, in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And so Jesus was very clear about who He was. And so we need to embrace that as a Christian. Uh, we embrace Him for salvation. And then, like um, Mike challenged us this morning, to just think about, seriously think about what Christ did for us and the love that it showed us. First of all, it showed us how to love, but it proved His great love. Mike mentioned today, love is action. And Christ definitely put action to His words. And uh, so we need to show the love of Christ to the people we come in contact with uh, but again, we need to embrace him. Next slide says, why do people re uh, reject Jesus today? Well, really the same reason they've always rejected him. People don't like, uh, one thing people don't like is authority. And second of all, um, people like to think that they can pull themselves up by their own bootstraps, as we say. We hear that saying, uh, somebody being able to take care of it themselves. But salvation is not something you can take care of yourself. It's something where you needed a Savior, I needed a Savior to come and die for us. Again, we're not perfect. We're still sinners. So I couldn't die for your sin. You cannot die for my sin. Only a perfect sinless Savior, and that was God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. And on the second part of this slide, it just says, in what ways is it difficult to submit as Jesus as Lord and King? Well, let's say this. You've already accepted Him as your Lord and Savior but have you turned every area of your life over to Christ? Every single detail of your life, have we turned it over to Christ? If I'm honest in my life, I have accepted Christ for salvation, but there's parts of my life I just, for whatever reason, I haven't given them 100% totally to Christ. Again, not for salvation, but as far as living the Christian life, we have to submit in every area and do the, just like Christ said, not my will, but yours be done. And we have to be the same way. Not my will, Christ, but your will be done. So as Christ submitted to the Father, we submit to Christ and the Father. And the way we do that is by doing the will of the Father, not doing our will, but doing the will of the Father. So it is difficult sometimes to submit to authority, but we need to do it. Uh, you know, it's one of the ways, uh, Mike mentioned that verse today, if you, uh, Christ said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so uh, we, have to, we have to do that. All right, well, let's uh, move into our second point here. Uh, and our second point here is that Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. And it says in this slide here, the Son of God and the King of the universe was crucified between two criminals, that were, and he was paying the penalty for our sins. And as we look at that, we're going to look at this passage. 
but realize that somebody else paid for our penalty. Just like I mentioned at the beginning of this uh, message, I mentioned about how my first day of eighth grade, where, the, uh, where that other student came up and just punched me in the nose, literally broke my nose. And um, I, didn't, I didn't punch back, but yet I got the same punishment as that. So really, I was paying the punishment for what he did wrong. But Christ paid the punishment of everything everybody did wrong, including me, back when he died on Calvary. And he had to pay for the penalty of our sin. Why? Well, first of all, he loved us. But second of all, it was to restore us to Almighty God and allow us to have a home in heaven, which we don't deserve. Um, we did wrong. We don't deserve it. But God, through his love, grace, and mercy towards us, has shown uh, that he loved us so much, he'd come down and be born on this earth, go through what he did in this life. Uh, you know, Mike talked about very clearly about the, the Savior's suffering here on this earth, about how his, he was beaten, he was spit on, his beard was plucked from his face. Uh, the Bible also says that his visage was marred, his face was marred more than any man ever. And, um, it, you know, we think about um, on the cross, all that he'd been through, the whipping, the beating, all those kind of things, then to have the nails driven through his hands, driven through his feet, and then to breathe on that cross and to go through all that he did. But Christ did that because he loved us, and he did that to pay our sin debt once and for all. Remember, we've talked in recent weeks. In the Old Testament, the animal sacrifices were there just as a temporary thing until our Savior came and did it once for all. We looked very clearly at that uh, on Wednesday night, that it was once and once for all. We had a great high priest, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and he's the only one that can reconcile us to a holy God. So as we look into verse 17 here, uh, let's get into the scripture here. This is a, a little bit shorter section, but about right about the cru crucifixion. Verse 17, it says, And he, that would be Jesus, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him. Uh, on either side one, and Jesus in the midst. Verse 19, And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews. For the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, or near to the city. It was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Those were the three primary la languages of the day. That's why it was posted in all three. You know, we always see the picture of a really small writing, like, you know, on, on top of the cross. This would have had to be in a pretty decent size sign, first of all, for people to see it. And it would have had to been a pretty good size to have it in three different languages um, that, um, that was the king of the Jews. And Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. In verse 21, though, it says, Then the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate uh, said to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. See, the chief priests and the rulers didn't want it said that he was the king of the Jews. They wanted it just to say that he said that. Uh, but uh, um, kind of a play on words, if you would. Uh, they, but they didn't like what Pilate wrote. And remember, Pilate's at extreme high level of frustration. He doesn't even want anything to do with this, but he's been forced into this uh, role and in verse 22, Pilate answers says, What I have written, I have written. So uh, Pilate says, I'm not going to change it. I wrote it. Deal with it. 
Uh, but, you know, as, as Pilate uh, wrote those things, really what he was writing was the truth. And so I think God even guided what he wrote. I believe God, you know, we see so much with the, the, the uh, arrest, the uh, trial, his crucifixion, his burial, and then his resurrection. We see in such all the small details God was there. Uh, again, to fulfill all the prophecies, which we're going to talk about in a minute. And then just even something simple like this. The title that was put on the cross above Jesus, it's, it's said that this is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And guess what? He's our king as well. He's not just the king of Jews, but he's king of all. And remember what the Bible promises, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That means every, not, not, not some, but every will admit that. And uh, Pilate, not being a Christian, but yet God leads him to write that and put it on the, on the, on the cross. And again, I don't think it was a mistake. I think God uh, um, made sure that that was done. And again, chief priest didn't like it, uh, but that's the way it was. And so as we look at the, uh, this, this was a shorter point, and I want to get into the third point because that's where I really want to spend a little time. But look at the next slide. It says, uh, zoom in. It says, Jesus' death on the cross demonstrated that we cannot save ourselves. We need a Savior. God offers salvation and forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ. And again, we think often of uh, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, all those verses that say, uh, there's none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, again, we needed a Savior. We cannot save ourselves. And that's important to know that. And important to understand that, that we can't save ourselves. You know, even after you've been a Christian a while, you could mistakenly think in your mind that I deserve heaven. Look at how long I've been saved. Look at this, look at that. But the truth is, none of us deserve heaven. We all needed a Savior. And Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, again, met that need for us. And then it says, apply it on the next slide. Uh, Praise and serve King Jesus. Because he paid the penalty for our sins. See, it's only natural. If somebody were to save my life physically, that I would owe them a debt. But to save my eternal life, my soul, to save me for all eternity, we praise him, serve him for no other reason than he paid the price for our sins. See, sometimes we get in our mind that God owes us something or owes us more. The truth is, uh, I've heard preachers preach on this before and I've heard it said, and I think I agree with it, is that, If all Christ ever did for us was die on the cross, that's enough. See, when we get saved, we don't have a perfect life thereafter. Now, we will in heaven, but on this earth, we still go through trials. We go through tribulations. But that he died for us was enough. And again, it proved his love for us that we we would praise and serve him there. The next slide says, What emotions rise up when you you think about what Jesus did for, for you on the cross? Well, I don't know about you, when, it, when it's described in detail what Christ did for me, to be honest, I can't believe somebody loved me that much that he would go through that kind of suffering for me. Um, I'm a wicked sinner. I don't deserve heaven. But yet, Christ was my creator. Not only was he my creator, he was my redeemer. And he loved me so much to redeem me from my sin. And so what kind of emotions rise up? 
Well, love. To me, to be honest, I, I just I hate what was done to Christ. When I think about his beard being plucked, when I think about him being nailed to the cross, when I think about the beatings, when I think about the mocking, when I think about the spitting, all those things, they make me angry. But you know what? I only have one person to really be angry about, and that's me. My sin put him there. Your sin put him there. You know, see, we can't, be, we can't think, oh, wow, if I was in that situation, I would have done it different. You know, um, We don't know that. But what we do know is that Christ died for us. On the same slide here, it says, what can we do to demonstrate our gratitude and appreciation for all Christ has done for us? Well, the main thing is the obvious thing. One of the last things Christ commanded was to go and preach the gospel to every creature. It's our job to get the word out. Mike has challenged us. Uh, there have been a stack of Easter tracks back there on the table to get those and invite people to church. We've got the yard signs. Why? We put a yard sign out. Again, like Mike said this morning, it's not to get a big crowd. The purpose to get people here is to hear the gospel so that they can have what you and I have, which is a home in heaven. We want them to be saved. Uh, surely if you had the cure for cancer or you had the cure for, for uh, COVID or you had the cure for any disease, that you would share that with the world. Well, the truth is you have a greater cure than any physical cure. You have a cure that um, saves the soul of a person. And that's through Jesus Christ, and that's very important. So one of the ways we, we, we show our gratitude and appreciation is we tell others about him. And then the second one would be uh, service. I just think of Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. It comes to mind, and uh, it's our reasonable service to serve God. Uh, and so let me, let's just see, let's just leave it at that. All right, let's move on to our third and final point tonight. Jesus' crucifixion fulfilled messianic prophecies. You know, I like this section the most. Uh, not that the other parts are great too, but I like everywhere in the scripture, especially in the gospels, when it's talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, I love it when it's fulfilling prophecy because people can dispute a lot of things, but the proof of the prophecy is that it, years before Christ died on the cross, he fulfilled all those from where he was born to really literally his line, you know, his line that was there. Because we in the, in the Bible, we have listed the paternal line of Christ and we have listed the maternal line for the Savior. And, and as you look through the prophecy that was prophesied about him, uh, just like the one we looked at a little bit ago, where Jesus wouldn't answer him, that was that fulfillment of prophecy. And so prophecy is just a great thing. When it was, it was said, it's something that was said before it happens. And then Christ was able to fulfill it. So let's look in here. Um, uh, starting in, uh, well, that's on this slide. Let me finish the slide. I'm sorry. It says, John repeatedly demonstrated that the events of the crucifixion fulfilled Old Testament prophecies so his readers would believe that Jesus truly was the Son of God. And again, there's lots of things to point us to, to Christ as the Savior. One would be that he claimed it. Two would be the eyewitnesses that saw him after he rose again. Uh, he rose again and he was seen by many people over 40 days before he ascended back up into heaven, they saw him alive. And uh, the disciples themselves, and then we have a, a record in scripture where over 500 at once saw him. So there's, there's a lot of things that point to him. But written down prophecy that he fulfilled uh, later uh, was, uh, was, to me, is just great proof that he was there. So let's take a look in here as we look into that. And the first one is verse 23 where it says, 
Then the soldiers, when they had crucified, took his garments, made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from top throughout. So a very, very uh, quality made garment. And in verse 24 it says, They said therefore among themselves, Let us not rend it, but cast lots for it. Whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, They parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things therefore the soldiers did. And that's a direct uh, fulfillment of prophecy that's found in Psalm 22. And so let me encourage you, just like we looked at Isaiah 53 this morning, let me encourage you to go to Psalm 22, specifically verse 18, and that's what, uh, the, where this is fulfilling that prophecy. And so in Psalms it was prophesied, and then here we have it fulfilled. That's exciting. Uh, but the soldiers, again, they parted his garment, they didn't part his coat, they cast lots for it, and so, uh, uh, so that they would have it as one whole piece. And again, that was fulfillment there. Verse 25 says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. And it says, When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Verse 27 says, Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. And um, it's interesting, as Christ has gone through all this suffering, and he's on the cross dying, but yet he cares for his earthly mother, Mary. He makes sure she's going to be taken care of. He makes sure that she has a home to live in. And of course, it's with the disciple. And you, and you think about it. Um, Jesus was all about others. The Bible says he humbled himself in the form of a servant. We saw a couple messages ago, we saw how Jesus washed the disciples' feet as an example for them to show how to care for other people. His earthly ministry was all about other people. And dying on the cross was all about all of us uh, from eternity, or not eternity, but from the beginning of the world, the creation of Adam and Eve, uh, and he died for everyone from Adam and Eve all the way forward uh, that will ever be born. He died for their sin. And so, uh, but it's interesting that one of the things he took care of while he's there on the cross after all that suffering is his earthly mother, Mary. And then in verse 28, it says, uh, After this, Jesus, um, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saying, I thirst. And this was a direct fulfillment of Psalm 69, 21. Psalm 69, 21. So uh, let me encourage you to look these up. Again, Jesus knew that all things were now accomplished. He says, I thirst. Now, unfortunately, look what they give him to drink. In verse 29, it says, Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar. They filled a sponge with vinegar. They put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head, and he gave up the ghost. Um, and you've heard people speak on that. Mike's mentioned it this morning about it is finished. But, you know, I don't know about you, if I'm extremely thirsty, uh, vinegar is not my go-to drink. I do not like the taste of, uh, of vinegar, especially plain. Um, I do like it uh, on, on things when it's mixed with other stuff. But it gave him enough moisture in his mouth to say the words, it is finished. 
sometimes we forget that even though Christ was God in the flesh, um, he was in the flesh, and he was just like you and me. He hungered, he thirsted, he felt pain. Uh, he, his body worked the same way our bodies work. And you can just imagine uh, that he would have needed that moisture after being on there uh, to be in order to say, it is finished. And again, he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. And, uh, you know, that'd be terrible if that was the end of the story, but we all know it's not. We know that he rose again. Verse 31, let's go on with that one. It says, The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the bodies should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for the Sabbath day was a high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers, and they break the legs of the first. And... Um, of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they brake not his legs. But one of his soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bare record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith true that you might believe. For these things were done, that the scripture might be fulfilled, a bone of him shall not be broken." Now that exact scripture is found in Psalm 3420. Psalm 3420. So again, let me encourage you to look that up. Again, what was, the, what was the prophecy? That his bones won't be broken. Now remember, both guys that are crucified on each side of him, both of them, they break their legs. And they did that, uh, from my understanding of what I've looked at in some of the commentaries, they did that because when you were on the cross, in order to breathe, as your hands were outstretched like this, and you had to push yourself up, with your feet so you could, your lungs could get a breath of air. And so in order to breathe, they had to push themselves up. And, it, and the reason they broke the legs is so that they could no longer do that, and literally the person would suffocate and finish off the process of dying a horrible death of a crucifixion. But to both criminals that were crucified on both sides of him, and by the way, you might remember, one of those uh, criminals is in heaven for all eternity with Jesus Christ, and to our knowledge, based on the scripture, the other one is in hell. So one of them's been in heaven forever since that day. The other one is in hell since that day. Because remember, he asked Jesus, and Jesus said, Today you shall be with me in paradise. So, but, you know, both those men had to have their, they had their legs broken by the soldiers. But we have this account where they came, they saw that Jesus was already dead, so they didn't do that. Instead, they pierced his side. And so verse 36, again, about the broken bones is found in Psalm 34. Then we have in verse 37, And again another scripture saith, They shall look on him who they pierced. That's a fulfillment of Zechariah 12.10. Zechariah 12.10. Again, fulfilled prophecy. Just from verse, um, that we've been in John chapter 19, just from verse 24 to verse 37, we've seen at least four specific prophecies fulfilled from the Old Testament. And so, you know, it's just interesting to see how God put that there so man would be without excuse if they deny him as the Savior of the world. Again, uh, he put that there as another form of proof. Some of the other forms of proof were what God said about him. Some was about what Christ said about himself. Some was about what the Holy Spirit uh, acknowledged him. Others was, uh, was this fulfilled scripture. Again, eyewitnesses that saw him alive after there. There's so many pieces of evidence that prove that Christ 
is the Messiah, is the Lord and King. Uh, but yet people chose to, choose to ignore it or choose to deny it was probably a better word to say it. But uh, again, these are four fulfilled prophecies that say otherwise. All right, well, let's jump into verse 38 here. It says, And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and he took the body of Jesus. There also came also, or excuse me, there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Now we want to, I want to stop there for a minute. These two men that came and took and asked for permission to take down Jesus' body. Notice that it mentions Joseph of Arimathea being a disciple, but he was secret about it because of fear of the Jews. Again. Did they have good reason to be fearful? Of course. Look what happened to Christ. Look what's happening to him. He's being put to death on the, cry, uh, to, on the cross. But you know, it was extremely brave of Joseph of Arimathea to go to, to Pilate and to ask permission to take down the body. Uh, that took bravery. Uh, even though it says he was a secretly a disciple of Jesus, but it took bravery to go to Pilate and ask that question. Pilate gave him leave, it said in verse 38. That means he allowed it to do it. Verse 39, we see that Nicodemus was also the other one that came. And it's interesting that um, Nicodemus, when he first came to Jesus, we really have, uh, you know, we talk about um, John 3.16. Mike quoted it this morning. We talked about being one of the most familiar passages in the Bible. But in John chapter 3, that's where we first encountered Nicodemus. The whole reason Christ put John 3.16 in the Bible was he was explaining to Nicodemus how he needed to be born again. Um, back in John chapter 3 and verse 1, it said, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So he, guess what? He was also a religious leader, but he came to find out that Christ really was the Messiah. In, in John 3.2, it says, the same came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. And then Jesus answered in verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So isn't it interesting? That it's the same Nicodemus in verse 39 that says, He came to him by night originally. And But look at him now, boldly going with Joseph of Arimathea, and asking for the body of Christ and, and taking the body of Christ. And it says he brought with him in verse 39 a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. A hundred pound weight is actually about 75 pounds. It's a large amount, but it's what they needed to prepare the body for burial. Uh, in our day, we talk about people being embalmed after they die. Uh, but this was their way of taking care of the body. Verse 40 goes on to say, they took, then took they the body of Jesus, and they wound it in linen clothes and the, with the spices, as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. Verse 42, there laid, uh, there laid they Jesus, therefore because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. And again, that word nigh just means near at hand. But again, uh, their, their purpose to Pilate was that, uh, again, that it would, it would be uh, 
that they could take the body, they could prepare it for burial, and they put it here in the tomb, in the sepulcher, where no man had ever laid. And uh, um, as we look at that, and we think about what Christ did for us, again, if the story ended there, it would be horrible. Uh, but um, as we look forward to Easter Sunday, we cel- we'll, we'll celebrate the resurrection of our Savior. Um, and we can do that every day as a Christian, and we do it every Sunday when we come together. But just something special about Easter Sunday where we actually uh, commemorate um, Jesus physically resurrecting from the dead. and take, Think about it. He stayed on this earth for 40 days, showed himself, then he ascended into heaven to his back to his rightful place where he came from when he came to this earth, which was seated at the right hand of the Father. See, he left heaven, a perfect, glorious place, came down to this earth where sin abound, to die for that, that sin, again, to redeem us from our sin uh, for all mankind. Uh, not just for me, not just for you, but for everybody. But the truth is, the only ones that can go to heaven are the ones that accept him as their Lord and their King. Just like back in, that, in the story that we just read, the Jews rejected him on the day of his crucifixion. But see, whether you reject him or not, the truth is he's still Lord and Savior. And we can't, you know, once you die on earth, it's too late to, to, to change from rejection to acceptance. We must accept him while we're here on this earth. Well, let's look at our last few slides here. Uh, the first one is zoom in. These fulfilled prophecies demonstrate that the Bible is God's word. Again, we can have great, great trust in God's word because it's from him and he cannot lie. But there's proof in here. Things that were prophesied came to pass. Then let's look at our next slide here. It says, apply it. Trust that the Bible is reliable. You know, Satan has been twisting scripture since back in the Garden of Eden. He tried to tell Adam and Eve that oh, you surely won't die. If you, if you do this sin, God told them they would die. You know what Satan did? He called God a liar. He said, you're not going to die. Let me ask you a question. Did Adam and Eve die? Yes. They died physically, but spiritually they're alive forevermore. Why? They have a Savior, Jesus Christ. And as you think about that, the, the devil also scri- twisted scripture when he, talked to, uh, when he talked to Jesus, when he tempted him in the wilderness. He twisted God's word. See, Satan got kicked out of heaven because he claimed to be equal with God. He called God a liar. And the truth is, when we don't accept that Christ is our Messiah, we're calling God a liar too. But we can trust that the Bible is reliable. Then the next slide says, How does Christ's fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy give you confidence that the Bible is reliable? Well, I don't know about you, but it increases my faith. And you know what? It makes me look forward to the prophecies to come. The things like his second coming, uh, what's going to happen during the tribulation, the millennial reign of Christ, and then, uh, uh, you know, I mentioned the rapture of the church, you know, before all that, before the tribulation even, the rapture of the church, the tribulation, the millennial reign of Christ, the final battle where Satan is defeated, and then where we get to rule and reign forever with Jesus Christ. And um, it's just exciting. But it, but it gives me confidence that the Bible is reliable, um, but it, gives me, it increases my faith. And then it says, what other fulfilled prophecies affirm the reliability of the Bible? There's so many of them. There's so many of them from where he was born in Bethlehem um, to just every step along the way, um, prophecies were, were given. Uh, let me encourage you to study that out. 
about what's of the different prophecies there that are fulfilled. Then lastly here, the last slide says to live it. It says here, the Son of God sacrificed his life so you could be forgiven. What will you do this week in response to this amazing truth? Well, I don't know about you, but first of all, like Mike said today, we need to reflect on what Christ did for us on the cross, and, and it proves how much he loved us. But then we need to go out and share that love, whether it's by a personal invitation from you, it's a track left on the door somewhere, it's the yard sign you put in your yard, whatever way you choose to get the word out, the invitation out. And again, we're not asking, we're not giving the word out, so we'll have a huge crowd here on Easter. Now, I hope we have a huge crowd, but the reason I hope that we have the crowd is so that they'll hear about Jesus Christ and that they'll come to know him as Lord and Savior. And then it says, who in your sphere of influence needs to hear about God's love? Seek an opportunity this week to share with them that what Christ has done for them. What's that? That's that staggering sacrifice that we talked about. Who's in your sphere of influence? Anybody you talk to, your neighbor, that, um, that clerk at the store, the mail, the mail carrier, um, your neighbors that lived around you, your family, your friends, everybody that um, is in our sphere of influence. That's anybody we talk to. And again, a personal invitation from you will mean a lot to that person. It, it, it'll show them that something that you, care, that you care about a lot, you're trying to share with them. And uh, people will appreciate that invitation. And again, people are more open now uh, at Christmas and Easter than ever before. So let's not waste that opportunity. Well, good night. And thank you for turning into the service tonight. Again, continue praying for our pastor. Uh, let's just close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you again for the word of God. Thank you for the fulfilled prophecy that we've looked at a little bit tonight. Lord, I praise you for coming and dying on the cross for us and, and just dying for our sins so that we could have a home in heaven. We praise you, Heavenly Father. We give you all the glory and all the honor. Continue to lift up our pastor, help things to go well with this physical therapy. Bring us back to him soon, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, good night.